This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing the season finale of Star Trek Prodigy called Supernova Part 2. We have a little tiny, a wee speck of news <laughs> to cover <laughs> before we get to that. Tony, why don't you tell us about it? I mean, it's it's the end of the year. It's uh, between Christmas and New Year's. It's it's as they call it a slow news week in the business. But uh, on Christmas, we got a little Christmas gift from Terry Metalis, maybe his last of the year, um, where he shared a clip of music from season three of Picard, and it's the theme for the Titan or the Titan A, which is the hero ship from. Stephen Barton, who's the new composer, and uh, you know, I, I liked it. I mean, what did you think of the music? I thought it was lovely. So he said it, he's he gave the caveat. He's like, this is it being recorded. It's not mixed. It's a live recording. And then they had to crop the video because otherwise you'd see stuff that they were looking at while they were recording it. It is so but obvious what the scene is, by the way. <laughs> I can tell you what it is. I know what the scene is without even because we know who he we know Terry is. And if you listen to the music, this is obviously a slow, languid scene of the Titan coming out of some kind of dock, probably yep. space dock. It's a beauty shot, and it probably lasts a minute. I mean, I'm glad we have to wait to see that, but that's what it obviously is. And the music evoked that, and I, I thought it was lovely. It sounded cinematic and rich and beautiful. And very, well, it's funny to see people commenting like, oh, it's it's Jerry. It's all Jerry Goldsmith. No, it's all James Horner. No, it's it's both. You know, and it it is. It's both. Yeah. Because. Yep. But of course, that means it's more Jerry Goldsmith because he started it. But nonetheless, it it <laughs> definitely evokes both of them very well, which is the whole point of bringing in the new composer, which is to bring back the kind of cinematic Star Trek music. So there's a nice little Christmas gift. I know that Terry's hoping they also showed the sheet music and he's hoping people start doing covers of the music. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, someone do the accordion cover and the kazoo bass cover. guitar, the yep. kazoo cover. Yeah, Trombone exactly. only. You know, there's so many options. I, yeah, all of which we've seen people do yep. with Star Trek. So that's our last Picard bit of 2022. 2023 is the actual year of Picard. No more teasing, I guess. Yeah, well, a little few, you know, good month and a half. But still. Sure enough. This just in. Yes, you heard a strange little sound in our podcast. It's because after we finished recording the podcast, the next day there was a clip at the end of the ready room from Star Trek Picard season three. So we felt we needed to get back together and quickly talk about it. So, Tony, what did you think of that very brief not super informative, but interesting clip. It's from episode one, almost certainly. Yeah. It's probably the first scene with Jean-Luc Picard following the attack on Beverly's ship, I guess. And he's getting a message on his old communicator. So I guess it's her calling to let him know. It was nice. It, sh it sh kind of shows us that he's reset back into gentleman card mode i guess he's wearing a very nice and comfy looking sweater yeah he's got reading glasses so i guess he's um allergic to retinax <laughs> i know that so that's the thing so i have very mixed feelings 
about this tiny clip because I immediately thought, why is he wearing glasses? There's a cure. I know Kirk was allergic. Why can't we just let Kirk be allergic and leave it at that? Why does, you know, like. My bet is, is that it's an affectation. You know, he just, he, he likes it. Well, we are both glasses wearers. I wear contacts. I wear glasses. If I didn't have to wear glasses, I would never wear them again. And I would think that most people feel that way. No, I, a lot of people like them. Anyway, let's just, you know. I know. I don't want to get into it spe- I just want to say what my concern about it was that it felt like, oh, now we're now it's a throwback to Kirk and his glasses. That's the probably the bigger thing is yes. that, you know, can Terry control his impulses to constantly reference the original series movies and in every single frame exactly season three subtly and overtly i think the answer to that is no yeah <laughs> you know right so. and and everybody's level of what they want and what they don't want and what they'll take and what they won't take is different and that's probably that's you can't beat you can't win that game it's too hard to win that game. But even the moment of, I was like, I'm so happy he keeps his uniform from that special time in a special place. Oh no, is every time we see something from his past, is that going to be a long, slow, big moment? You know, yeah. like it's it's a tricky balance. And this clip has put me exactly where I was before, which is like, I want it. I don't want it. I want some of it. I don't want too much. So it was the same. I had the same mix of hopeful excitement and trepidation. The scene is very dark, as is a lot of the stuff in the trailers. I think they're definitely going for a darker, more cinematic thing. It makes me think of some recent HBO shows that have caused controversy because the cinematographers have chosen to make them dark. You know, and people saying, I need to turn up the brightness on my TV. And they're like, no, this is an artistic decision, not a mistake. You know, that we want it to be dark. So you can't see it. We don't want you to see what's happening. I mean, that's the problem with, you know, this goes all, you know, was a big Game of Thrones controversy, too, that there were very long scenes where you just had no idea what was happening unless you happened to have a top of the line TV. But you could see the, you know, the details on his face and you know what's oh, this going wasn't, on. You're not, yeah, you're not this really wasn't missing like out. That. I didn't feel that this clip was too dark or fit into that category. I saw his beautiful face, which I love. I saw his lovely sweater. I saw a little bit of where he was and what he was surrounding himself with. So I thought it looked beautiful. Yeah. The the dialogue is a little techno babbly for Picard getting into codex and stuff like that because this is a co- coded message. Well, he stops it from getting techno babbly. He's like, I know I don't need you to tell me what that is. That's true. Anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's nice that it's ramping up that we're starting to get these teases for season three. We can overanalyze this thing, but <laughs> you think, you know, this one minute of the season, but it keeps my anticipation level up. I'm still concerned about what the fan service dial is on the season. Yeah. You know, I don't mind, you know, a little bit of fan service, but you got to choose your moments. And maybe this is one of those moments, I guess. I pretty much feel the same way. So I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. And I am no less either one of them. Um, you know, as a side note, the Ready Room episode itself is good. It's a good interview with Kate Mulgrew. Um, there's a package with the Hagemans and with the rest of the cast. So 99% of the Ready Room is about the season finale of 
Prodigy. So it's worth checking out the whole thing, but you get this little Picard bonus at the end. And we now return to our regularly scheduled podcast. And then also, we just want to let people know on the site, we have finally put out our list of the best of Trek in 2022. So we have come up with a number of categories. We had much discussion because there were runners up that we couldn't include and differences of opinion. And here we go. But I think we came to a pretty good consensus. So come check out our picks. Let us know when you disagree, as I know you all will. <laughs> when you agree. It's it's not just the shows. It's like shows and books and apparel and fan stuff. And cameos and celebrity moments. Shatner moment. I think that's a good category. Um, so and, and come and tell us uh, categories we should do next year because we're looking to do more creative stuff next year as well. So so come on by and give us your thoughts. I guess we should start talking about Prodigy um, before we get into the episode, kind of a follow up from last week and even a couple weeks ago. Remember when I joked that there's, you know, a whole fleet um, of ships, including Sovereign Class. But I'm like, well, there's no way any one of those ships is going to be Enterprise. Well, as it turns out, <laughs> one of them is the Enterprise, but not really. First, yeah, if, if We didn't talk about this last week because this is one of those things that it was so easy to miss because they do a zoom in on, on the USS sovereign. But what it appears is that sometimes you could see a sovereign with the NCC 1701 E nacelle. So it made it appear as if the enterprise is in the battle too, but upon even more nitpicky looking, <laughs> it, it appears that it is actually just one model and the saucer says sovereign with the sovereign, you know, designation. And then the cell has the enterprise designation. So it is an error, basically. Hmm. And one you could only see in split seconds. It's it's something that, you know, it's not meant to the the enterprise is not meant to be an important part. And you could actually see the designation a little bit better in part two this week. But still, I it, severely damaged. So one could make the case this is why they needed to replace it with the F. But it isn't all tied together like that. The Picard people and the Prodigy people weren't coordinating on this. I think the animators have really tough jobs to do. So the designation is on all of those ships, basically. Right. They're all enterprises. They're all so USS sovereigns. And, but it doesn't really matter. No, I'm not sure how it's, Memory it, Alpha is going to handle it, though. Right. But it is, you know, <laughs> if you have to, like, freeze frame and blow it up and do all these things just to see it, then it's not something we really need to. Yeah. No one ever says <laughs> it's the Enterprise, you know, so right. but it's it's kind of there. I think the important thing to take away from the battle in both part one and part two is that the fleet Starfleet is severely damaged i mean and they showed that more in part two yes and the dauntless itself was so damaged that janeway is going to need a new ship which we're going to get into that later yeah so let's start with talking about supernova part two okay my big overview i i mean great way to wrap up the season for sure i you know ending a chapter a long chapter and setting up a new one it didn't have the excitement of part one because they were paying things off in some ways, as opposed to building on and building on it. It's just the nature of what it 
was. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very dense. Most of the action was up front. Yes. Half the episode sort of felt like a coda. I mean, I'm glad because the upfront part had a major thing happen that would have kind of got lost in the mix, but had time to land here, which was, you know, the destruction of the protostar, which I'm glad they didn't waste time. Because last week I was joking, like, why doesn't anyone say let's blow up the ship? Like the first line of dialogue this week was let's blow up the ship. Right. So. Right. And then the second line was we can't blow up the ship. And here's why. And then the next, then next, well, we could, here's how. I mean, I felt like all of that could never have happened earlier anyway. I get why they, it's in part two. I think Dal would not even have come up with the idea had Gwyn not tried to, she was ready to sacrifice herself in part one to go start when she thought they were being boarded and she grabbed a weapon and she was going to do it. And she's like, I'll deal with it. And so he saw her ready to sacrifice that got him to a place of being ready to sacrifice. And that I believe is what shifted his thinking enough to even come up with the idea. I don't think it's something they could have even come up with before. I do think they could have made it clearer that the ship had to be destroyed, not just because it would infect more ships, but because it would stop the other ships from fighting each other. So this isn't like a virus that infects a ship. It's a constant broadcast that is making the ships do this. And as soon as that broadcast stops, the ships will stop fighting each other. Yes, I think that's why they showed last week. They would show the, the construct seeing a ship and sort of activating, seeing a ship and activating. Yeah, but it kind of like in a movie where you have to go to the central computer and shut it down and it shuts everything else down. Like, because people are used to viruses, but if you infect a ship, it's infected. The, sh- the ships are kind of constantly being infected. Right. I guess this that, wasn't it, that. Yeah. You know, and they, they there was some dialogue early in this where they talk about the signal. Um, so the ships were not actually infected, they were being controlled by the signal. Right. To give us a reason why they have no other choice but to destroy the ship. Although, if it did proto-warp away to another system, wouldn't that have done it as well? Like, if I don't, they just we left. And, we didn't you know, know how or... far, how the distance were. There was no yeah. specific <laughs> information on that. It, it could do a long distance call. Okay. Um, <laughs> and the, a really uh, good Wi-Fi. <laughs> but all of this was to create, you know, the need to destroy the ship. And it's kind of a big deal. Like, when you're thinking about it, like, oh, my God. So they create a new show. And it's got a new ship and they're going to destroy it at the end of the season. That is crazy. Ballsy. (laughs) You know, that you just, and they're going to kill a a major character, you know, if not the majorest character when this show was, you know, early on, it was a big deal. Now, Kate Mulgrew plays two roles, so it's not like they're killing her off, but it is a distinct character for sure. Absolutely. And a good death. I think the way they handled the sacrifice and all of those choices, you know, her not being able to fit on a chip, you know, because she's grown so much is kind of a nice message. Yeah, no. And it's even something when we did our interview with Shauna and Julie Benson and we asked about the difference between the two Janeways. They talked about how Hologram Janeway had grown and changed the way that the Doctor on Voyager did or the way that Moriarty did. And that's why the program was so big. 
Although they could store Moriarty on like four isolinear chips, right? Well, they or... needed that cubey thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they didn't have one of those i mean she did say that she could be extracted but they just didn't have enough time so yeah a, there know, wasn't time to do it to fit her on she, one little chip and then she had to lie about it yeah that was interesting i mean i'm glad she kind of apologized for lying i guess i thought it might have been interesting if one of the kids figured it out like dal but he kind of covered for her it would have shown he's has you know, that they have a special bond, you know, but I, I, I still think it worked. Yeah, I think they wanted everybody to have a reaction. I, I could totally see that, too. I could see it being Gwyn, you know, who would who would make that connection. But I think they really wanted the full reaction. I mean, nothing beats why is Janeway tiny as an initial <laughs> reaction from Jankum. But <laughs> but I did. I mean, I well, you know me, I was crying, of course. There was a couple of goodbyes there was the kind of fake goodbye and then the real goodbye but they both had an emotional impact for sure you know i thought it was very sweet and they kind of made a joke a little bit to lighten the mood as you were just saying but no i think it the emotion paid off and it's definitely a, a gutsy move on their part to do that although you could also see why they're doing it which is and i think i mentioned this like weeks ago like the show may end up having too many Janeways, you know. Yes. Well, as they were coming together, you know, they were far apart. They actually met. They came face to face. And then it's time to weed one out, I guess. But <laughs> Right. I mean, once Admiral Janeway was on Team Prodigy, then you've got too many Janeways, right. essentially. I mean, and that moment when Hologram Janeway says, now you have two of me, and she's joking. And at that point, she knows what she's about to do. That just broke my heart. Yeah. Like the moment when she realized it too, because she did have a moment of surprise when yeah. she, when she tried to do it. So I just love the way they do emotion without, without milking it, but it's powerful and strong. Yeah. Which is why they had to put this into part two to give it just enough time to land and and she went out with the bang literally um, in many ways. I liked how her last line was, Go fast. Yes. And it was beautiful. Yeah, what she created was beautiful. And then we later learned not only is it this beautiful spatial flexure from Counterpoint, your episode Counterpoint, right? Was it Counterpoint specifically where they did that? Yeah, those kids. Oh, the, cool. I mean, yeah. I knew it was a Voyager thing. I I can hear yeah. the, the, the phrase <laughs> in my mind it was very cool looking but it also served a purpose as it turned out at the end yes which is to match the wormhole that chakotay came through years ago so you know her last act was very complicated <laughs> um, i know with very little time she managed to do that and record a farewell did a piece of her somehow make it into that 52 years into the future like did a chunk of the, you know, the ship end up, you know, landing on Chakotay? Maybe. You know. Landing on Chakotay. <laughs> Suddenly this clunk. And then all of a sudden, hello. <laughs> I don't know if it landed on Chakotay, but I guess there is a possibility. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I wonder if it was a, a an interesting thing at the end. So we're totally jumping, but. Way at the end, they they show the kids the new Protostar class ship, 
which is essentially just another protostar, but they didn't tell us what it was called, which presumably has a hologram on board. I wonder if that was just a nice way to soften the blow for the destruction of the ship in that they're like, look, the ship lives on in a way it's, it has a legacy now where there will be many protostars. Um, right. You know, it's all part of the sacrifice had meaning the ship's sacrifice itself. Here's, here's a question that, you know, that makes no sense though. <laughs> now that you think about it, which is why did Starfleet start building another protostar before they even found the protostar? Unless they built that ship in like three weeks. Which I don't think they could. Right. Well, maybe they were building it for a while because they lost the other one. And they're like, we got, we need one. Right. But you don't, I mean, just that's not how prototypes work, I guess. <laughs> you, know, you need the prototype back before you could launch a whole class of ships based on the prototype because you need to know what works and what didn't work. So, you know, but whatever. Right. And it's also one of those things that where I do say, Who's the show for? <laughs> it is for kids who are not even going to think about that. It's not going to bother them. It's not going to get in the way of the storytelling. It actually didn't occur to me till now. So that, you know, the, I've watched <laughs> this like two or three times. So, you know, I, I didn't even start nitpicking it till now. So it's it's a, such a minor thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it doesn't bother me at all. So yeah. I'm I'm fine with it. It was interesting how the show structured where they there was a middle act or much of the kind of second act. They made sure the kids didn't make it back right away, which I thought was an interesting choice to give that portion where it was just Janeway back at Admiral Janeway back in Starfleet. Didn't know where the kids were. She's getting briefed. She's talking about the kids. It allowed like a little bit of a break. What did you think of that? That choice? I thought it was great for story i thought i had definite concerns about the kids in the shuttle that had like they couldn't even stand up in it let alone we don't think it had bathrooms food or <laughs> yeah. anything else showers you know right all and those it was, things and they were in there for, for a, a month. month a month how did they even make it back to earth i mean did that thing have a warp drive, but it didn't have seats? Yeah, I know. Because I'm like, if someone found them and brought them back, they would have taken them out of the shuttle. No, no. So... They, they for some reason, you know, because they thought it would be fun. And it was fun. They had the ship crash land right off the bridge. Right. Which is essentially the ending of Star Trek IV. And right. then they kept the Star Trek IV ending going by putting them on trial yes. for stealing a starship. You know, so it was all fun. And I liked that when they were, just a quick digression, when they were outlining the charges against them, they were all exchanging glances, remembering how fun all those things were. And even Janeway gets in on it when they go in, you know, inhabiting the mind, and then Janeway starts grinning. Like they're all remembering their fun and wacky criminal adventures, which I loved. Yeah, all of that was good stuff with the stuffy judges. Yeah, the whole courtroom scene, I think, was great. So, but yeah, just overthinking what you know what the smell was like in that shuttle probably yes. is not worth it i think it, it was a kind of a good break to do that the, it was good for admiral janeway to finally janeway out and she had a great speech talking about the federation and advocating for doll which was kind of sad and funny at the same time you know right 
Well, she's she's like, is he? <laughs> she sort of insults him at the same time. But everything about that speech, like one, she talks about this is why we sent out the protostar. We wanted to find other people who share our ideals to form a stronger alliance. And this is exactly who we found. We found people who'd never heard of us who instantly adopted our ideals. And then she talks about Dal having twenty the DNA of 26 member species of the Federation in his DNA. So saying he's the living embodiment of what we're doing. And all of that stuff was so beautifully done. If you look at the judges, they were all species that he had part of. Yep. But I'm glad that, I mean, we knew that they were going to not be sent to prison. <laughs> right. But I think the, the solution is interesting, you know, and makes sense. Because we thought, you know, are they really going to put these kids in Starfleet Academy? But that would mean season two is them in Starfleet Academy. Right. So their solution is actually both. It makes sense to not put them in Starfleet Academy because they did have a point about like, you know, there are people who've taken the tests and gone through the process. I thought that was a great point. I thought that was really reasonable and fair. But it lets them continue to have fun space adventures with their new space mommy. Admiral Janeway. But this time she's in charge of them versus just advising them. Yes. So that is going to be a different dynamic. I did have one question about, so they, the wording was interesting. So they were referred to as warrant officers in training. Yes. Which means they're not actually warrant officers. They're not cadets. They are, how official is this? Because for some it makes sense, but there's one in particular (laughs) where I don't, I don't get how um, Murph Murph can be a warrant officer in training. They made a point of it because they said, you know, it's, it's, Five of them, and you know, not Gwyn. So it's Dal, Rock, Pog, Zero, and Murph are the five. And you know, because I thought they might show Murph finally talk or show that he's sentient, but at best, Murph is like a toddler. And I feel like they jumped a couple steps to just say he is on the same level as these kids. If that's what they're saying, I don't know what they're saying, but that's kind of how they presented it. Right, because they said five. They didn't say four of you and Murph. They said five. So, um, yeah, no, I'm super curious about how that's going to play out and what that's supposed to mean. Now, there was another side of that is which kind of finishes and restarts Rock's journey. So Rock met some actual scientists, Starfleet scientists, and one of them said to her she has a good way with Murph. Dr. Aaron McDonald said that to her, which is yes, so yes. cool. I thought that was great. Like she that, actually that gets to cool. be a character in the show and she gets to be herself. And she looked like herself. I thought that was awesome. Well, you'd predicted she might be a doctor, but xenobiologist makes sense for her. It's very Star Trek. Same job as Michael Burnham. Yeah. It, it shows that they are still studying birth themselves. So... I'm not sure how much Murph is really a warrant officer in training and more a subject of rock for season two to kind of figure out what what his deal is. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Murph is still going to change. So it'll be part of that. It's I felt more curious about what was going to happen than than had any sort of problem with what they said. I think that montage was nice. Pog showed that he can bang things and also use finesse so he's grown as a character and he's mm-hmm. learning from the engineers 
Zero. I f- Zero looked like a stormtrooper. Yeah, I'm not sure I like the new suit. And I don't like it. I'm sorry. Zero really hasn't had an arc for a while. Once Zero kind of got over the guilt thing and intrusively reading other people's minds, every once in a while Zero gets to do something cool, but they don't really... I don't know what their arc is. Like, what's their goal in life? Or have they already achieved it? They're now doing exactly what they need to be doing. And Wait, or why wouldn't they want to go back to the hive mind? Because Zero had memories of that. Yeah. So lots of questions that will be hopefully answered or at least addressed next season. But yeah, I was definitely disappointed in Zero's shiny new outfit. <laughs> It was just a little too clean and white, but... Yeah, and two st- it was a very Star Wars-y kind of get-up, <laughs> also. They definitely gave a lot of attention to Gwyn um, and Dal at the end to talk about what's happening with her and her journey. And they really put a button on her and Dal's, how, where they started in episode one, and they did callbacks and all that. Cat boots. Yeah, the and, cat but, boots and... That kind of stuff. And now, by the way, Gwyn is, has a name now. The Unifier. Yes. Like a... Um, like the Vindicator and the Diviner. Yeah. Now we have the Unifier. And, you know, in that nice scene with Dal and Gwyn, they also resolved the issue from last week of the romance angle with a little bit of a kiss. So they're, they're kind of saying, yeah, they like each other and that's a thing. They're a thing, even though they're separating the kids. So, what you know, what did you think of how that resolved yeah i just i thought it was very sweet i thought it was good that it wasn't just a one-way thing that she feels the same way and that they both know they have to be apart and deal with stuff i just thought it was sweet yeah i don't expect them to make this like a huge part of the show i think it's just all part of their arc together as characters growing so yeah i thought it worked with gwyn saying i know when he said he's gonna miss her was very han solo i thought (laughs) i'm always looking for star wars references it's hard to beat that moment in star wars it's pretty (laughs) perfect and i didn't he uh ad-lib that Uh, yes uh apparently after a day of shooting no one liked what they were doing so yeah said to harrison ford just do what feels right and that's what they did and that was that it was so perfect it was a perfect moment What did you think was happening at the end when the shuttle or ship lifted off and they said, there she goes, you know, and she said she's going to go find Solom. Is that just her on a little ship on her own? Or is that going to a bigger ship and that like starship is going to go to Solom? Or what are we supposed to take away from that? I did not assume that she was alone. I assumed that she had somebody with her, but she would be the only one who could talk to her people anyway. It's not like she could show up with a team. She would have to show up alone. That's what I'm thinking. It's like the smart thing to have her do it on her own to make first contact, kind of. So they're trying to circumvent the other first contact, which makes sense. But Starfleet, since it's so dangerous, these people are clearly dangerous. They would definitely want to be observing what she's doing, probably. And probably observing before they sent her down there. Yeah, and and talking to her a lot before she goes down there. So I felt like she was on a ship with some other people. It's got to be. It's got to be. That was my assumption. I mean, I get into a whole confusing thing 
I know they talked about like an all it's an alternate timeline, but as soon as you start messing with things that happened that led to you getting to where you are now, you get in this kind of loopy time loopy problematic. If that doesn't happen, they don't come to the past from the future, which means the prodigy kids don't meet and it gets very confusing. Well, if there is only one sacred timeline, that would be true. And that is kind of how sub shows deal with time travel, but I don't think that's how they're dealing with right. it. Right. Chicote's is in the future in 50, 52 years in the future. Right. But what has happened has clearly changed the future because Starfleet is no longer going to have that same first contact. Well, not yet. If they haven't gotten to that point yet where it would have happened, then nothing has changed yet. But they now know about Solom. They didn't know about Solom. So... But they still haven't done anything to change it yet. Technically. Yes, but... Everything is playing out exactly the way that it did before, except that people have knowledge. But until they act on that knowledge and change their actions... Everything is exactly as it was so far. They still haven't made first contact. That's true. But the chances that in 20 years, they're going to show up at a planet called Solom and do everything they did before and continue and watch that planet fall into civil war and continue to do nothing. There's, there's a 0% chance of that. So that that's why that is an alternate future because them, the Vaunicott coming back in time created an alternate, uh, changed the prime timeline essentially, and which we're we're on the you know the prime timeline now includes the Vaunicott coming back in time, making that first timeline the alternate timeline. Ironically, the one where Chakotay is still in, and so the weird thing we have here is Janeway's mission must involve going to Solemn just like Gwyn. However, Janeway needs to be going to Solemn in the alternate timeline in the future, whereas Gwyn needs to be going now. Right. Which is why they can't be on the same ship. Because last week, I'm, I I was surprised that they split her off, even though I knew like she was going to do something with her people because her dad died and said, you've got to do this. Yeah, he kind of set her up for it. But I was, I'm like, oh, why is she leaving? And that it, 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 I had, you kind of had to do the math of like, they can't have her on the same ship. Because she has to go to a different time than them. So it's almost like this weird two-prong attack. She's dealing with them this year or that year, you know, 2384. And they're dealing with, you know, something in the 25th century. The crazy thing is that if none of it happened, she wouldn't even exist. Yes, that is absolutely true. The Diviner coming back in time, you know, but she's, and she said the weird thing, which is that her father is out there as a younger man, essentially, on Solemn. Yeah, I mean, some of that depends on knowing what their lifespan is. Well, I, I, I'm i assuming it's greater yeah. than 50 years, is, yeah. is based on what she said. So she's going to have to say, hey, you know, you're my dad. <laughs> or, and it might be to some kid. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so th- so everyone, I mean, but what, what all this means and the way we're talking about this, interesting is they they finished everyone's arc and yet set up their arcs again. Yes, yes. But you don't feel like in either, you know, it's none of this is dangling. It's more intriguing. It's interesting how you you didn't feel like there's loose ends, which is, let's face it, so rare. 
I was going to say in a, in a world of season Star Trek season finales that are not great. Yeah. Just leave it gently. I will gently say they have not been great. This really, really Sean. It yeah. stuck out as very, very well done. They tied everything up. They found connections back to the first episode and early episodes. They showed growth. They had things happen that could never have happened up until that moment. And they set up an intriguing season two. And it's always interesting to look at what they decide not to do as well. So there's a couple things where there was no big cameo save the day one of those ships turns out to be the enterprise and it's captain wharf and yada 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 and you know but they didn't it, the kids saved the day janeway saved the day there's no need for you know Riker to show up even though it would have been cool right no um, i'm glad he didn't and i love him <laughs> yeah and, and they could have thrown a famous face into the final scenes the dakota at starfleet academy but you know, you've got Mulgaru and she's got work to do and it would have gotten in the way to have, you know, Tuvok or someone show up. I'm sure that's going to happen in season two. But they didn't need it in that finale and it was already full. They didn't need to pack in some distraction. By the way, I'm not saying I know Tuvok's in season two. <laughs> Before someone be. writes 50 articles saying Trek yeah. movie is verified. It's two Vicks is in that alternate future. <laughs> no. Then she has to kill him again. <laughs> <laughs> the other interesting thing, I'm not sure I agree with this one, though, is we didn't get a check in with our new favorite evil queen, the Vindicator. I thought we would get like a post credit scene or something. And when you watch the two episodes back to back as a single episode, you might not miss it. But when you watch them a week apart, you're like, you know, what's going on with the big bats? You know, she's still out there. What's, you know, she and her dreadnought multi-tool <laughs> um, left halfway through part one. Just give us a little like, you know, her floating in space, maniacal laugh, something. Yeah, I agree. That would have been nice to see. We did get a funny cameo, actually. A funny callback that surprised me. Oh, to their own show? Yes. Maybe you have a different one. What are you thinking? I'm thinking. Well, there was an interesting person in the scene with Rock and Dr. McDonald. Oh, okay. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. So, so there was an Enterprisian yeah. just hanging out there, which was yeah. sort of funny. <laughs> now, you know, again, a million questions. How did they get there? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, you know, it's not, it's, it's just cool that they, you know, that they're there. That Some time there has are. passed. They've told them about the, yeah, that's fine. I mean, there's also, look, there's some dire stuff coming. Like one of the, Important things Chakotay said in that recording. He said, half my crew is gone. And I was like, that's a big deal. Yeah, and like he were, and we're, you know, hanging on. So things are bad. Right, um, right. So that we know things are going to be really, really dicey when they finally do find him. Yeah, I guess the question is, they escaped and they sent the ship off. I can't remember through all these flashbacks and stuff. Did they say they recaptured them or had they just escaped and they were on the loose, as it were, when they sent? Oh, I didn't think they were on the loose. I thought it was one of those like they got free long enough to do that, but were still, I assume, still captive. Because when did Chakotay send the message? I guess during that brief window when he had control and a 
a pad and then they were recaptured, I guess. Right. Um, well, you know, this is all, see, you know, they got 20 episodes for season two. Yes. For the, it, the adventures of Chakotay. So there's, there's plenty to do with that. And I think that's kind of the show for season two. Yeah. That's what I think too. Primarily it is Janeway on her, not the proto star, her other ship, which they didn't show, but I know what it is, I think. And the kids, except for Gwen, who's on her other journey in it in possibly a different time. Right. That's oh, the show. Who knows how they'll find ways to connect those, but they will. Yeah. So do you want to talk about what ship you think it is? So the, the theory goes, and it's almost certain at this point, the ship is going to be the USS Voyager A. And the clue is a couple things. One is at the end when they said, oh, is that going to be our ship? And she's like, no, I've got something much bigger. And, you know, she had a smile on her face. So getting the next Voyager kind of fits with that. But the bigger clue is when they're in San Francisco Bay, there's a couple shuttles hovering around. And if you look closely on the shuttles, they have the designation for the Voyager with an A. So ah. you have to look say again, this is but now I was just saying how the animators in the previous episode possibly didn't even realize we were going to be able to see that there was the Enterprise. But I mean, it's like if you're going to make a sovereign class model, if you're a animator, right, and you're going to make a model, you make a model of the Enterprise, right? So it'll have that. And then they probably I buy bet is they started with the Enterprise then they changed it to the sovereign, but they forgot to change the nacelle. So the nacelle still said 1701, right? Mm-hmm. But this, they created new models for these little shuttles, you know, so they weren't starting with, there isn't a, you know, it isn't officially Voyager A shuttles out there for them to start as a basis. They had to decide we're going to make these Voyager A shuttles. Right. And why would they do that? They would only do that if the Voyager A is going to be and and the dauntless is obviously screwed right because yeah. they you know so and it always felt like a placeholder ship to me it was not particularly attractive and she's gonna need a ship she said she could pick any ship she wants yes she did that phrase was a big one any ship i want is a big important thing to say I guess the assumption is the original Voyager, it would become a museum. We know that they launched new Voyagers because Discovery has a Voyager J. Yes. Um, although that's not a lot of letters in the alphabet <laughs> for 800 years. Or yeah, whatever. it's a lot of time. <laughs> it's fast. I mean, but, but they probably stopped making Voyagers for a few centuries and then they decided to start doing it again for fun. Sure. Anyway, so that's my theory and I'm sticking with it. What do you think? Okay. No, it's good. I like it. I mean, I didn't notice the shuttles. I wasn't zooming in on them. I was too busy looking at the kids waving. <laughs> <laughs> that was very distracting for me. I loved that sweet moment. I mean, my goodness, I cried. Can rocks times. swim? There's a thought. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably I mean, not. Because you'd think that rock would just drop like a stone. Brick. Or a rock. Brick. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, these are these are important things that hopefully we'll learn in season two. Yes. Still, this left me completely satisfied as a standalone episode, as a season finale, and but it also teased a lot of stuff for season two. You know, so I'm 
happy the way it wrapped up and really looking forward to what happens next with these kids. Same. I mean, I also, and kept tying back to things, even when they, what was the other thing they referred to? There was another call, but, oh, the grab handles. It was like the grab and hold on to your butt handles. One where they went on the planet, the dream catcher planet or whatever, the weird nightmare planet. So there were all these really nice moments like that. I will say there's one moment that kind of bugged me. Okay. Which was when that Vulcan was was briefing Janeway on what happened, and he called them the criminals from Tars Lamora, and she took issue with that. And he said he said he gave this big sort of sigh, and then he said, "We mean no disrespect, Admiral." And I thought, and he obviously did mean disrespect. And I thought, you know what, a logical Vulcan, because sometimes the shows don't quite get Vulcans the way I would like Vulcans to be in my mind i think he should have said you are correct admiral i will i will i will correct my language admiral or something like that he should have had a very logical response of she is she is right and not like this sort of almost a vulcan version of eye rolling vulcans sometimes are written just to be jerks and yes i felt like he was because he was a commander you know just a commander would not talk to an admiral that way but a jerk would and a vulcan (laughs) a vulcan would listen and and correct their own behavior too so i would like to see i i wasn't a big fan of enterprise kind of vulcans who were mostly jerks yeah um and i really like uh spocky vulcans and tuvok like vulcans who are not jerks i was surprised speaking of jerks um (laughs) that we didn't get any jellico at the end because it was you know, because obviously there was dramatic tension between her and the Admiralty. And you'd think that there'd be a little Admiral v. Admiral mm-hmm. tension where she had to convince him to let the kids through. And to let them on a ship, to let them come with her. Yeah. But we, you know, I don't know why they decided to just have three random guys and not Jellico involved. It, it didn't really, you know, we're not losing anything, but I think that would have been a nice bit of Admiral Janeway's arc to confront and triumph over. Yes. Agreed. Jellico. And what do you think? Do you think we're going to see Tysus again? Who her crew is, is a big question. My bet is it will just because they're famous actors and, you know, yeah. so they're going to keep those, um, you know, Jason Alexander and Davy Diggs over. But the, we'll probably see some new faces, um, maybe yep. some familiar faces, maybe Tuvok. It's probably, I mean, it's such a big deal, though, for them to just put Tuvok on her crew or Tom Paris or someone like that. But uh, you know, it's possible. It's going to be the ship, though, and it's going to have a crew. So there's going to be a lot of people there. There are a lot of possibilities. I mean, I love Jason Alexander, so I hope they bring him and we get more fun with him. I'd like all those actors back because, you know, I like them all. And I could see them doing it. I mean, there's so many options with you could either have someone who was a main cast member of Voyager. You could have a minor character from Voyager. You could have a grown up Naomi Wildman. You could do all kinds of things. There's a weird dynamic here, though, in that she's going to be the captain of this ship and they are going to be warrant officers in training. You know, they are. In a way, this is kind of setting up lower decks, but they're lower than lower decks because they're not even officers or cadets. They are as low as you could go. So how much interaction will they have with the captain? 
tons because she specifically requested that. Like that's her job is to train them also. But I'm I'm just, you know, maybe they're going to have someone else that they interact with a lot, like a, an ensign or that, you yeah. know, someone that they could introduce that's their kind of, you know, immediate supervisor or something like that. Or Yeah. But it, then again, they probably will split the kids up into departments, you know, so they really won't be together a lot. I don't know. It's just, it'll be interesting to see how this all works out, you know, because it won't be like their Delta shift on lower decks because <laughs> each of them will have an assignment you know maybe dal is you know the captain's little helper that's a hell of an assignment i'm the captain's little helper um it <laughs> <laughs> was naomi wildman's job um <laughs> we'll see the, the the beauty of it is that i feel very excited about what they're going to do i see so many different possibilities and different ways for them to go and i can't wait to see which one they pick I'm wondering how I know that they had the first season planned out and it's clear that they did from the beginning. But I wonder how much they had thought if they had got a season two pickup and another 20 episodes, because this all seems to work well to set up a new season. How yes. much that they had at least the, a sketch of where they would go so that they made sure they landed in the right place to do that, because they really threaded that needle of wrapping things up and setting things up at the same time mm -hmm. what else is there to say i loved it you loved it i think you said earlier that you thought part one of the finale was better yeah i might agree i agree with that but together as a whole fantastic and it's still i feel great last week was great great this was just 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 great only yes. great yep I would agree. And again, I think it has something to do with the nature of what it had to do. Yeah. Because the whole first half was about building things up and building things up and then getting you to this very dire point. Yeah. Anyway, I got to cry a lot again, so that was fun. Yeah, but it was like uh, happy crying. Well, some. I mean, last week I happy cried when the Klingon ship showed up. And this week I did a lot of sad crying too. Where I would just realize, like, suddenly I'm like, oh, there's there are tears on my face. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it just really gets to my heart, this show. But it's not manipulating things. Too no, much, look, think. you know, I mean, I cry a lot when I watch Discovery because they they do draw it out. They do. You know, people criticize this. I'm very pro emotion, so I don't necessarily see it as a negative, but <laughs> but they definitely like f almost force it out of you in a lot of ways. And I feel like this is just a gentler like, oh, there are tears on my face kind of thing. It's just a different vibe. OK, so I guess it's time for our bits of the week. What's your last bit of 2022? Mine is something I was very excited about. So Bonnie Moss is a friend of mine who I've known through social. She was friends. She became friends with Leonard Nimoy. She was a fan of his who became a friend. She curated, you know, photography exhibits of his, things like that. So she sent me as a Christmas gift this extraordinary item, which is the first yearbook of the Leonard Nimoy National Association of Fans from 1968. And it's on this like yellowed paper it's all typewritten copied onto this paper it includes like leonard nimoy wrote them a letter to put in it and he talks about how he's excited that mr spock is going to sing 
in a new episode of Star Trek called Plato's Stepchildren, and that he composed the song, he says, while he was on a vacation weekend with my son Adam in between swimming, fishing, and sailing. And the best part is he says he's on his way to Oklahoma City to a seminar which will deal with the generation gap. So it is this beautiful, authentic piece of fandom. It's filled with personal stories from people about meeting Leonard Nimoy. I went backstage and I and it'll be like eight pages of a description of what was probably a 10 minute meeting and people talk and pictures of the Nimoy family getting their dog and all this stuff. And, and like, why is Leonard Nimoy your favorite actor? And everybody answers. It's so fantastic. I'm going to take a couple of pictures of it and I'm going to post some of the pages on our site because it's just, you know, on our post for the podcast, because it's just extraordinary. I have some fanzines that I bought when I was a kid that I had mailed to me and the papers all the same, you know, the way that they would mimeograph or however they did it. But this is truly extraordinary and something that he participated in. I feel honored that she sent it to me. She said she sees me as a keeper of the flame. That's so sweet. It's so sweet. It's just, it was a wonderful, generous, kind thing for her to do. And now I have this beautiful piece of authentic fandom from the 60s. Websites like trekmovie.com are standing on the shoulders of those amazing fanzines that started back in the 60s and 70s. It's it's amazing what they did there. And there were so many of them. Yeah. And they are definitely pieces of history. Yeah. So it's, it's incredible. I feel very lucky to own it now among my prized possessions. And how about you, Tony? What have you got? Mine is picking up on a story from earlier this year uh, with the passing of Nichelle Nichols this week. And actually today as we're recording this would have been her 90th birthday and her family and friends have announced today a new foundation called the Nichelle Nichols Foundation. And it's going to continue her legacy of focusing on you know, helping young women and people of color get access to education in STEM or STEAM, they're calling it STEAM now, um, you know, science and math education. And they're going to be sending kids to space camp. A lot of great people are involved in this on the advisory board, including uh, Dr. Kaylee Acovino, you know, our friend from Trek Movie, who's also a NASA scientist. So it's just great that her legacy will live on through this foundation. It's such a great thing. I'm so happy that that's what they're choosing to do with it, because that really is one of the most extraordinary parts of her legacy, is all the work she did. I mean, people should go watch that documentary, Women in Motion, if they haven't seen it yet. But what a great way to honor her. So that's it for the final episode of 2022 for the All Access Star Trek podcast. Wow, that's (laughs) something to think about. So here's what I ask as, as your New Year's gift to us. Please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. We will be back. Uh, there's going to be a hiatus, obviously, until Picard starts up through February. But uh, we will be back with an episode next week and hopefully most of the weeks in between with some guests and discussions of various things about Star Trek. Some nerdy things. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much and goodbye. See you next year.